blessing to have this wonderful accompaniment here. Praise the Lord. Turn to page 51 and let's sing one more song, Blessed Assurance. Amen. Page 51. Now with all this beautiful music here, I can't hear you, so we're going to need to sing just a little extra loud. Amen to the Lord. These all three verses. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song. Praising my Savior. Praise the Lord for all the good music tonight. Amen. And uh, praise the Lord that the air conditioning keeps it almost cool in here. Cool enough for most people. Uh, all right. Any other praises? We had 77 this morning. One visitor. Uh, one to praise the Lord. We had two street fairs. One yesterday and one today. And a lot of extra help and people doing things behind the scenes. So praise the Lord. Uh, I know Brett's praise, uh, two little babies home, safe and sound, praise the Lord. Yes. Amen. I don't know if you heard that. He said, blessings beyond my wildest dreams, all thanks to the Lord Almighty. So praise the Lord. All right, Peter. 
Okay, first week at the new job, and he still has a job. Praise the Lord. All right. Any other praises to add to the list? Yes. Okay. Gina had an ultrasound this past week, and everything looking good. Little, little boy Spitzky on the way. So praise the Lord. Brother Ted. Amen. Dave. Oh, amen. Okay. Uh, Dave had a family friend pass away and... Uh, he didn't know whether the person was saved or not, was able to talk to someone that was able to tell him that he did trust the Lord as his Savior before he died. So we praise the Lord for that. That's the only comfort you can have, is we'll see them again. Amen? All right. Any other praises? Rowena? Okay. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the extra help yesterday while we were doing the street fair. Uh, we were able to get the worst wall going down to the basement, sheetrock, and so praise the Lord for that. Uh, we're moving, we're getting close to finishing the major part of the construction of this job, which would be such a blessing. So praise the Lord for that. Any others? Okay, well, let's pray, and then we'll get, off, get one more song in and then the Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all these testimonies tonight. We thank you that you are doing your work in each situation, Lord. We praise you for the lovely little children you've added to Brett and Maria's family. Lord, we praise you for the good ultrasound and report from Gina. Lord, we praise you for each one that was here in the services this morning and all the wonderful music you've given us tonight. Lord, we thank you for the willing hearts and hands to not only work uh, in the building, but to do the street fairs and pass out tracts, opportunities to witness and to get your word out. Lord, we just thank you for working in hearts and lives. In your name we pray, amen. Take your songbooks, turn to page 633, and right alongside that, grab a hold of your Bibles, because we're going to need it for this song. 633, hold the fort. 633, all right. Get your Bibles in one hand, him in another if you can. Let's get ready. Oh, my comrades, see the signal waving in the sky. Reinforcements now appearing, victory is nigh. Hold the fort, for I am coming. 
the mighty host advancing, Satan leading on. Mighty men around us falling, courage almost gone. Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we Glorious banner waving, hear the trumpet blow. In our leader's name we triumph over every foe. Hold the fort, for I am coming, Jesus signal still. Wave the answer back to heaven, by thy grace we will. Fierce and long comes our great commander cheer my comrades here hold the fort for i am coming jesus signal still wave the answer back to heaven by thy grace we will amen and you may be seated All right, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Revelation. By the Lord's grace, we will finish this series the first Sunday night in uh, August. And we're just going through Jesus' last instructions to the churches. Uh, I believe simply that... Uh, these were real letters to real churches that had real problems in, in their days and uh, that the different churches that are found here are types of the different kinds of churches uh, that we will find in uh, operation today and that if we're not careful, uh, our church could become like some of these churches in here, and if we are very careful, maybe our church can become more like some of the other churches in here. Amen. And uh, we come to the church at Thyatira. We've um, been, yeah, okay. This is the um, uh, fourth church uh, of the, I'm looking at my notes here, I'm missing a church, missing Pergamos in the uh, outline here, but uh, Ephesians, Smyrna, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, now we're down to Thyatira, and uh, we start in verse 18. This is the longest letter that Jesus wrote to a church, and, and uh, really this is uh, the church that had the most problems of all the churches, not the most serious problems, that's for the last church, the church at Laodicea, but... Uh, uh, let's just start in verse 18. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. It says, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, 
and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, as we read this letter to the church at Thyatira, Christ introduces himself differently to each church. Here he introduces himself, who hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I, I read that passage, and uh, I think of those... Uh, uh, I don't know what you would call them. I, I guess they qualify as human beings. They didn't come from another planet. Uh, you'll find them standing on the street corners, and, and uh, one of them will always be holding a, uh, a little Bible, and, uh, and the next one, he'll say, read that. And he'll say, feet like brass. He says, what color is brass? Brown. Now, let me tell you something. Fine brass is not brown it's almost like gold amen that is fine brass mariana knows she has to polish it at the hotel yes okay well somebody polishes it and if it isn't you yell at him right there we go uh but fine brass just Walk down the streets of Manhattan someday, you'll see fine brass. It is yellow like gold. It shines. It, it looks nice. That's, it, it says in the Revelation chapter 1 that his feet were like brass as they burned in a fire. I mean, they were glowing. And the ideal here is what Jesus is telling this church. He says, I've got eyes like a flame of fire. He said, I am looking right through you. I am not concerned as much as what goes on the outside as what is happening on the inside before it gets to the outside. He says, I am looking on the heart. I mean, we'll go through here and, and he'll tell this church, he says, You've got everything I want my church to have. You have more now than you had when you started. That is great. But I still got some things against you. 
And so we, we look here and brass, everywhere you see brass in the Bible, you see God's judgment. Brass is a picture of judgment. The altar that was in the uh, courtyard of the tabernacle where all of the uh, sacrifices were to be offered, not the ones except for the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement. Those were to be burned without the camp. The daily sacrifices were to be offered on that brass, that brazen altar. It was wood. It was covered with brass. And brass is just, I mean, it's a picture of the daily judgment. And God is looking here and he says, listen, we need to make some discernment here. We need to make some judgment between what is right and what is wrong. And that's one of the things that Jesus is going to do, amen, when he returns to earth, the battle of Armageddon. He is going to judge between the right and the wrong. He is going to do all of these things. And he says, I'm coming. I am going to judge you. And we read in Peter that the judgment is going to begin. If the judgment begins here in the church of God, what in the world is going to happen to the people out here that don't care anything about the Word of God? Well, the Bible calls it the Great Tribulation. Three-quarters of the world's population dies in seven years. You ain't seen nothing yet. I mean, when God pours out His judgment upon this world, I just praise God the Bible teaches us that, we're, that we as His children are going to be out of here before that thing starts. And so he, he looks here and He's saying, Listen, I know thy works. I know everything about this church at Thyatira. And look at the list here. Charity. The greatest of these is charity. This church had it. They had love in action. I believe that's the best definition we can give of charity today. It's not just love. It's the thing that love produces. It's the things that happen because of love and care and concern for the community and the people in which we come in contact and service. I mean, this church was getting the job done. Faith, they believed in God, thy patience. They were willing to wait and endure and keep going when nothing seemed to be working right. It said, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. He says, you're getting more accomplished than you were when you got started. This is great things. Notwithstanding. And we've, we've got to get this into our minds and our hearts. Because our first response when someone criticizes or gives us something negative about ourselves is to begin listing all the good things we do. You ever done that? I've done everything right, and you've got to come up and you've got to pick on the one little thing that I missed. Anybody here ever said that? I can tell by the looks on your face. Uh, I am not alone in that uh, estimation of what has happened. I mean, we... We sit here and we try to justify ourselves 
by the good things that we have done. And Jesus said, listen, I know all the good things you've done. And I'm glad for every one of them. But it doesn't make any difference because I'm a God of judgment and a God of holiness. And I'm going to tell you there are some wrong things in your church. And yet Jesus, uh, Jesus claimed this church for one of his. There were some really rotten things happening in the church at Thyatira. It says, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. Now, some people have tried to make this a condemnation of women preachers. And this is not the passage where you go to get that accomplished. Uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where you get that in 1 Corinthians 14 and a few other places. But it says, Thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Now, I've read in some commentaries where uh, it talked about how that the commentator believed that Jezebel had re resurrected from the dead and had come into the church and was actually teaching there. Uh, there's no end to the weirdness that people will believe about the Bible. But what it's speaking of here is that uh, we have some... Let me just read you some verses out of the Old Testament about who Jezebel is. I mean, even to this day... Uh, if you really want to insult somebody, uh, a woman, especially, you call her a Jezebel, I mean, that's about the worst thing you can do, uh, even, even in culture that doesn't believe the Bible anymore. 1 Kings 16.31 tells us, And it came to pass, as if it had been a light thing for him, Ahab, to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. 1 Kings 21-25 gives us this testimony of Ahab. But there was none like unto Ahab, who did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. 2 Kings 9-22 says, And it came to pass, when Jehoram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answers, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. That was basically the last words that uh, Joram heard from Jehu. The next was an arrow, and uh, he was dead, as Jehu was the one that God called to put an end to the house of Ahab. Now this Jezebel of course, in and of herself, was a wicked woman, but her uh, contribution, shall we say, to society was stirring up others to do wickedness. Ahab saw Naboth's vineyard, and he wanted it. And when Naboth said, I'm not selling my vineyard to you, I'm not giving the inheritance of my fathers to a man like you. Ahab pouted. Jezebel sat down and wrote letters to have Naboth murdered. That was Jezebel. Always pulling the strings behind the scenes 
helping people be evil, justifying the works of unrighteousness. You say, how does that apply to a church? Oh, it does, doesn't it? It's going on all the time. We have people, not necessarily women, uh, uh, men and women who stand up, and, and the ideal here is, is the spirit of Jezebel. What is going on here? It is this taking of truth and error and joining together. That's spiritual fornication. That's what the Bible talks about when it's talking about fornication. It's talking about truth and error and making them one. When the children of Israel would go and they would attend the services and the rituals in the temple and the before that, the tabernacle, and they would leave the sacrifices and the rituals of the tabernacle and the service of the tabernacle or the temple, and then they would go out and they would serve other gods. God called that fornication. And we have this great push going on today in churches where we open the Bible and we see what the Bible says and then we go right out from that service and from those truths and join up with people who do not teach the truth about the Bible. That is Jezebel. It is known today as the ecumenical movement. Uh, the, it is setting the foundation for the one world church. In fact, we'll read on here a little bit. And it says that Jesus is going to take her and her children and cast them into great tribulation. That is going to be the church of the tribulation period is the church of Jezebel. Because if you can take the truths of this book called the Bible and put them aside and go out and do exactly the opposite of the Bible, you never had what the Bible has. You can't do both. You cannot serve the world and do the best you can and hope that it turns out okay and serve and trust in God at the same time. It's not possible. To eat things sacrificed to idols. Now this was a huge problem in the New Testament church time. In fact, Paul uh, takes a great deal of time in the book of 1 Corinthians dealing with this subject because in Corinth, they had this great altar to the Greek gods, a great pantheon, and they would worship these gods. They would offer meats and food and all kinds of things to these gods. Now, here's the only problem with those gods. They don't eat. They're statues. And so they would take this great big uh, roast, whatever you want to call it, a huge portion of an animal or whatever, and they would take it in and they would offer it and, uh, to the God and the priest would take it and he would do whatever he was supposed to do and burn the liver on the altar to this God and do this and say hocus pocus over it. And Well... How long does a piece of meat keep without refrigeration, which they didn't have in those days? Not very long. 
So they would take off what they wanted and they would take it down to the market out behind. It was called the shambles uh, in Corinth and they would sell the meat and the money would go to the temple. Hey, get some nice meat real cheap. Sounds like a Baptist kind of place, doesn't it? The only problem was that meat had been dedicated to false gods. And oftentimes what they would do when they were having their big false worship is people would invite friends and family and everybody over because here they'd killed a 500-pound calf or whatever, and uh, the priest took his piece, and there was a whole bunch there left for the family to have a big party, and so your Uncle George... Uh, would call you up and everybody would come over and they'd have this big party with the leftovers of what had been sacrificed to the, to the gods. What are you doing? You are actually partaking in false worship by eating that meat. That's what the Bible's teaching. Paul said, listen, if you're bidden to go to a dinner don't ask. But if somebody tells you that meat was sacrificed to the idols, don't eat it because of the testimony. That's in Corinthians. This was not such a situation. There were some Christians that were so emboldened because of their relationship with God and, so, uh, and the teaching of Jezebel that they would actually leave the church services and go into the temples of these false gods and sit down at the table and partake just as the heathen did who worshiped these false gods. To take and to put no difference between what belongs to God and what is the world. That's what it means to eat things sacrificed to idols. We have to be careful of that. You see, we have a type of Christianity today where nothing changes. You go through the same daily routine before, after salvation. You believe the same things before, after salvation. You listen to the same music before, after salvation. Oh, they might take the words out and put some nice Jesus words to it, but it's the same music. Uh, in fact, many times it's performed by the same artist. And uh, then uh, you wear the same clothes before salvation, after salvation. The goals of your life are the same after salvation as they was before salvation. Now, we've got lots of names for it today. One of them is the purpose-driven life. Because what you are doing in the purpose-driven life, and believe it or not, the best explanation I've gotten of the purpose-driven life was not from a preacher. It was from Rush Limbaugh, of all people. And he was talking about, if you'll remember... Uh, back, uh, I guess, almost two years ago now that uh, one convict uh, murdered the guard uh, and escaped and kidnapped a woman and she convinced him 
to turn himself in several days later, and she credited that ability to do that to the Bible and Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And uh, Rush Limbaugh, being a commentator, spent a few moments and he said, the answer to why this woman was able to do this wonderful thing is in chapter such and such, paragraph such and such of the book, where it tells you that you are to take your desires, that God gave you those desires for a purpose, and you put them over top of Scripture, and you tell God what you want, and He'll give it to you. Now, see, no preacher would dare say it that boldly, because everyone would know that it's total heresy and a joke because the God of this Bible does not want us taking our desires and our principles and treating them equal or superior to Scripture. But who wouldn't want to be a part of a religion where you can get everything you want? Wouldn't that be nice? And we live in a country and in a society where... If you want a brand-new $180,000 Hummer to drive down the street that would be loaded with it, you could do it if you wanted it. If you set that as your life's goal, there is not one person in this auditorium that could not go out and buy that vehicle and drive it around. Now, how long you drove it around before you wrecked it or somebody stole it, that, that's a different story. But if you wanted it, you could get it, couldn't you? I mean, we live in America, the land of abundant credit. No, um, get whatever you want. Just these itty-bitty payments every day for the rest of your life. If you want to be rich in America, you can be rich. You can be. And you don't have to become a thief to do it either. But I promise you, you'll have to sell your soul. You have to give up everything else so you can get that money. That's the doctrine of Jezebel. God did not put those desires in your heart for the things of this world. That is because of our sin nature and who we are. We were born as descendants of Adam. The Bible tells us we must fight against those things, that we must willfully fight uh, against our own desires. We must suppress them. In fact, Jesus said, if you don't hate your own life, that you can't follow Jesus. We have this self-esteem doctrine going around. And it's been adopted by pastors. I don't want to say anything that might offend somebody. Well, man, I'd be more worried if you weren't offended. Amen? Because this book called the Bible is an offensive book. And we need to be offended about ourselves and who we are and what we are so that we can go to God and get that thing straightened out. Amen? And so... Here is the, the spirit and the teaching of Jezebel. It is everywhere prevalent today, and it is in. Now, here's the, here is the key. We're not talking 
about churches that never taught the gospel because they're not churches. They never were, never will be. The Roman Catholic Church has never been a true church and never will be a true church, though there are, in history, there were true churches that were absorbed into what has now become the Roman Catholic system, if that makes any sense. We don't have time for a whole history lesson tonight, but these organizations that call themselves churches never were. We're talking about what's going on in the true church of Jesus Christ. This thing is happening today. We must fight against allowing Jezebel to come in. I was in a preacher's meeting. Fundamental, independent, Bible-believing, Baptist preachers. Some of them were men that had instructed me in different things, and, and I counted as friends over the years, and, and they were saying, listen, we want to make our fellowship a place where Bible church pastors and, uh, and other kinds of people that aren't necessarily Baptist in their doctrine would be comfortable to come into our meeting." Whoa, that's scary. Well, then the next guy got up and his speech was one step further. He said, we need to make this a place where the chapel kind of churches, if you've ever drove through and saw something called the chapel or saw an heard an advertisement on the radio for the chapel church, uh, it's a group of churches, almost a denomination. It's uh, headed up by a guy, and I'm trying to think, uh, Chuck Meisner is one of their great He's a prophecy conference guy that goes out and does a lot of stuff. But these churches are corrupt. They do not teach true doctrine. They do not, they're not churches. And the statement was, we want those people to be able to come into our fellowship and us straighten them out. Now, wait a minute. You don't bring pastors who teach false doctrine into your fellowship to straighten them out. That's dishonest. That's not what a fellowship meeting is about. A fellowship meeting is to build each other up in the faith. That's the spirit of Jezebel. It is to eat things sacrificed to idols. It is to take the difference between what is true religion and false religion, bring it together so we can all be friends. Now, sometimes I feel like the meanest man in the world. Somebody will say, well, what about this radio ministry and what about this? And I can tell you the answer right now. No. Amen? It's just that simple. Christ's plan is local, independent, Bible-believing Baptist churches. Amen? And if they've got the right doctrine and they don't have the right name, well, they ought to put the right name on. That's just the way it ought to be. Because we got to identify ourselves as someone. That's why when we started this church, we chose the name, Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Baptist is not that great of a name in New York, honestly. Uh, Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, Bill Clinton, all, all claim to be Baptist. That doesn't help our cause at all. But my favorite little rejoinder is that's not all they lie about, Amen. Uh, the biggest liars on the face of the earth. But historically, it connects us 
to a group of people who have been the Bible-only people. I don't want to get rid of that connection. Amen? I want people to understand. And I like explaining what an historical and historical Baptist church is. And that's where we come in. Historically, our doctrine classifies us as a Baptist church. And we're not interested in modifying definitions and changing the names because that's what was going on in the church of Thyatira. And God condemned that church because what you're going to do is once you start changing the doctrine and allowing these things in, once you allow error in and consider it truth, then you're going to have a whole lot of people who think just because they show up to church that they're going to heaven. And look what the uh, rejoinder is here. It says, I will kill. Well, look, let's do verse 22. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then they commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. Verse 21, it says, And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. We have people out there teaching these things, and when you open the Bible and show them that it's wrong, they will not repent. I had a guy arguing with me on the phone 45, 50 minutes a couple years ago about promise keepers. And I, I said, now, sir, I said, this is my understanding. Now, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. I said, but, you know, when I get up in my pulpit and I preach that Jesus gives us an eternal salvation, one that is not based on what we do, but based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and we preach against speaking in tongues and all of this phenomena that goes on today because it is not biblical. And then I finish preaching on Sunday, and then Monday I go to a Promise Keeper rally, and I'm sitting there on the platform with the preacher that preaches that you can lose your salvation and you need to speak in tongues and you should seek all these signs and wonders. Am I not offering confusion to our people? And by the way, that's not the worst case scenario because in Promise Keepers, the Mormons are allowed in there, the uh, Catholics are allowed in there. Anybody that calls themselves Christian is part of this group. You're going to end up with a church and a population of unsaved people in a Bible-believing church. Jesus said, listen, unless these people repent... Now, Jezebel, she's not going to repent. She loves what she's doing. And you get these people who teach this false doctrine. They are the most obstinate, ridiculous, ridiculing, hate-filled people. My wife and I were in a service one time in a fellowship meeting, and the preacher got up after me and re-preached my sermon every point. And the point after every point of my message was how Pete Montoro is such ridiculously wrong and stupid. and In fact, he even called me wicked from the pulpit because I said, you can't take the Word of God and preach it just anywhere. Now, what I meant by that in the context was 
If you're invited to an ecumenical meeting, you don't go to the ecumenical meeting and preach the Word of God because it dumbs down the Word of God. That's what he called wicked. Unrepentant. They will not rest content until every church is like their church. One of them said, why? Why do you got your drum, drum, uh, drum set back in the back corner there, Brother Duke? Get it out where everybody can see it. That's the spirit of Jezebel. Unrepentant. Unsaved. God says, I'm going to judge those people. He says, I'm going to look at verse, um, verse 23. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins, that's your mind, and hearts, and will give unto every one of you according to your works. But I say unto, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, now look at the next statement, and have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. We think the devil's greatest work is in Greenwich Village over here, in the Limelight Club, and in some of these different places where they've taken, actually they've taken a church. I think that thing went out of business, didn't it? The, they took a church building and put the most vile nightclub, sodomite-like nightclub, in this church building in Manhattan. And uh, I don't know if they've gone out of business. I, somebody said they did, that the building was for sale, but I, I don't know if that's true or not. Just don't follow that stuff. We think that is the greatest work of Satan. No, it's not. The greatest work of Satan is in Bible-believing churches that allow error to be taught and promulgated from their pulpits and in their Sunday school rooms and throughout their church. It doesn't have to come from the pastor, but if it's part of what's going on. In fact, there was a great movement in the late 60s. The Wiccans, the witchcraft people, would go into Bible-believing churches and try to get jobs teaching Sunday school so that they could introduce candlework in Wiccan worship in the church services that were going on there. That's where the devil was really working. The depths of Satan is a place where the truth and error are taught by side by side as equals. Because once that happens, how in the world can you tell the difference? Only through the Word of God. Only by studying the Word of God. And we as human beings are lazy. We don't like to study. We like to just listen to what's going on. And what we have happening today is where truth and error are presented side by side as parallel universe or whatever you want to call it. Well, that's you, this is your truth and this is my truth. And, and everybody can have their own truth. Well, if you can have it by yourself, it's not truth. Truth in and of itself is universal. It cannot be molded or made to fit you. And it says that the churches are going to know that I'm the one that searches the reins in the hearts. This is a warning. This has happened. 
to better churches than Open Door Bible Baptist Church over the years. Where someone has come in, people have come in, and truth and error are held side by side, and guess what always wins out? Error. There are Baptist churches that used to preach the Word of God. If you ever heard uh, Reverend Stanton or read any of his tapes, you never would have heard him. He, he died in the, in the 20s. He was over here at First Baptist Church of Manhattan. I read one of his sermons during the time of Prohibition. Boy, I mean, you talk about ripping high. You would not like me to preach like Reverend Stanton did. Uh, you think that, that, that I've been mean. Boy, I mean, that was, that was some message. I wish I could preach like that. But a few years ago, a group from Crown College was up here, and they were uh, actually staying in the building. And he said, you guys are messing things up. I'm trying to build bridges between our church and the world and the community in which we live. Now, last time I checked, Upper West Side was one of the most liberal, God-hating communities in the United States of America. And he's building bridges. I'd be burning them, amen? amen? We don't need bridges. What we need is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, God says, I'm going to judge them. Jesus says, I am going to uh, d kill them, destroy them, that... Uh, because I'm going to give unto every one of you according to your works. He says, but unto the rest in Thyatira, he said, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. I love that song, Hold the Fort. God is not expecting something new from us. He wants us to hold fast that which we have. Amen? We don't need to change. We don't need anything new. We don't need a new slant on it or a new look at it. What we need to do is start doing what the old thing says. Amen? And here's, here's what it says. It says, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. There's only one way you're going to do that, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God living in you. You want to overcome? You just keep doing the right things. You just keep passing out gospel tracts. You keep witnessing to people. You keep telling them the truth. Pre-adventure, God will give some of those adherents to Jezebel's doctrine the grace to repent of their foolishness and get saved. Now, Jezebel's not going to. Don't worry about her. I used to think that I could argue with some of these errant preachers and, and leaders and try to help them understand that you got to stay by the truth, but that's not my job. My job is to pastor Open Door Bible Baptist Church and warn you and our members not to let that stuff in here. Amen? Not to let that foolishness gain ground in your heart. There is a difference between truth and error. What is not in this book is error, and it must be shunned and turned away from. It says, If we'll hold that, keepeth my works unto the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Quoting Psalm 2, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter shall they be broken into shivers even as I received of my Father. That is the authority of Jesus Christ. Won't it be a great world when the Prince of Peace rules from the city of peace?
we won't have to worry about Al-Qaeda. Amen? We won't have to worry about the Democrats or the Republicans or the Communists or the Socialists or anything else that those people want to call themselves. Jesus will rule this world and he will use those that serve him to do it. Amen? And it says, And I will give unto him the morning star. And I will give him the morning star. The morning star is Jesus Christ. That's why I hate new perversions of the Bible. Because they take Lucifer, son of the morning, Isaiah chapter 14, and they translate it morning star on purpose. Look it up. NIV, let's see, New English Version, New Century Version. I'm not sure if the New American Standard does it or not, but most of the new, new ones do, and the ones that don't, many of them will have the cross-reference in there that will take you back to Isaiah chapter 14. That's blasphemy. Jesus says, I will give unto those that hold my works unto the end, the morning star, eternal salvation, the presence of Christ, being made one with Jesus Christ. Now, if that doesn't get you excited, nothing can. Amen? It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We, we need to listen to these letters. What was going on? 1,900 years ago, when John penned these words at the mouth of Jesus Christ, our Savior. See, they didn't call it the purpose-driven life. Rick Warren hadn't been born yet. They didn't call it the ecumenical movement because nobody knew what it was. Same stuff, different names. What we need to do is listen and pray, and do right. All God's people said, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. And Lord, we just ask now that you would protect this church, that you would keep us from false doctrine, that we would be studying your word, and we would be constant, and we would not allow the things of this world to come in and influence us in an ungodly way. We ask for your grace to work. Lord, we ask that each one of us would realize that you are going to judge us each as individuals as well as a church. And Lord, if there be anyone unsaved tonight, that they would be willing to surrender to you. And Lord, that you would work in the hearts of lives of each one of us that we may be your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Before we finish that prayer, let's just keep our heads bowed. If you need to come and spend a few moments at the altar, you may.